This is our ninth lesson in Wellspring. Amazing, isn't it? We have focused on the discipline of the heart, and soon we're going to be moving into the discipline of the home. Well, last week we looked at what it means, again, to shepherd our hearts, maybe a little deeper. And this is the second part of that lesson, and we're going to just look at some real practical um, ways that we can shepherd our hearts. So we're going to do, as we do each week, and turn our notebooks over, and as we, we're going to review and go through these at the same time, I hope. Um, so our Wellspring purpose is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's the goal. That's the purpose of our time together. We equip through teaching, and we encourage one another through worship, and our discussion time is such a blessing. We spur one another on to keep battling to shepherd our hearts with the very words of God. We hold the words of God in our hand to keep battling to live those gospel-transformed lives. And in doing that, we strengthen the church and its purpose. Remember the good shepherds we talked about last week. They eagerly guard and tend and lead the sheep, and they are faithful. Good shepherds make sacrifices for, and they protect the sheep. We recall that that's what we're aiming for when we shepherd our hearts, to faithfully and eagerly guard, lead, feed, and train our hearts to obey God's word, to dispel fear from our hearts by drawing near to the good shepherd. And so our job in shepherding our hearts is to bring our heart to the good shepherd Jesus so that we might receive the shepherding care he has for us. And we do that by meeting with God in the word and in prayer. And it's something we need to cultivate as a discipline. And that's discipline one, prayerfully shepherding her heart toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Discipline two is the home. She ministers to those in her household with a heart for God and for the gospel. We talked last week that our time with the Lord, this tending of our hearts with God's word, is to be carried over into our lives 24-7. James tells us that we're to be doers of the word, right? And not hearers only. And with a heart for the gospel, I know now that I can love others best with the gospel. And not just in speaking gospel words to them, but living it before them and generously relating to them in a gospel manner. We do not do this in our own strength, but we rely upon God and his grace toward us. Our homes and our relationships we have are meant to be arrows pointing one another to Christ. And discipline three is ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. When God saved us, he made us members of his household. And we step in the church to shepherd others. We direct one another to the shepherd. We offer words of encouragement in the gospel, and we're reminding each other of gospel truths and realities. We look out for the brokenhearted and the weary and the lost among. We love those in our midst, and we care for their needs. If one is burdened, we help carry. If one is wandering away, we go after. If one rejoices, we too rejoice. We shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Well, this lesson is going to be a little more different, a little more different, I don't think that's the proper way to say that, a little different and more tangible and practical. We really want this to be a time that we spur one another on, and our discussion will um, continue in our groups. We want to persevere and excel still more and grow in this discipline of shepherding our hearts. It's a lifelong process 
of tending for and caring for our hearts. Our spiritual health depends upon it, our homes depend upon it, and our church depends upon each of us being women who guard and lead our hearts. And so we're going to walk through what that might be, and we're going to look about, talk about principles and methods about that and what that might look like and share some possibilities with you. So let's say you've been invited for dinner to a new family you're getting to know, and um, after dinner you help with dishes, right? <clears throat> and you look under the sink for a little yellow scrubber. But you don't find a little yellow scrubber, and how in the world does this family do their dishes? Because everybody has a little yellow scrubber, right? But what you find instead is a handy-dandy little brush. <clears throat> And you use that to clean the dishes before you put it in the dishwasher, and it works really well. You might even like it better than your little yellow scrubber. <clears throat> you actually want to get one on your next trip to the grocery store. Or maybe they find out that you'll use a little yellow scrubber, and they want to try that. Or maybe you just like what you use, and you're going to stick with it. And so that's what this lesson is about. <clears throat> We're going to give you some ideas and some options, and they're just tools. And if they're helpful, use them. Um, you can pick and choose what best fits for you. Maybe you're going to pick up one thing today, and that's our hope, is that you pick up one new thing that you can take to <clears throat> have in your quiet time. And if they're not helpful, then carry on with what you're already doing. But maybe later in the week you'll have a conversation with a gal, or later this, this month, and maybe you'll recall something and say, hey, this might be helpful for you. <clears throat> so we hope that it will be beneficial. <clears throat> this is not telling you what to do or to do this. This lesson has some resources. We want to spur one another on. I don't do all of these. I don't think anybody in this room does all of these, right? But it's helpful to know how others care for their hearts because it helps us to grow and to change and adopt new things. So that's what we're about. And we don't for sure want you to leave with a big old to-do list that's overwhelming and places a burden of guilt on you. But rather we want to light a fire and fan it in our desire for the Lord so that we'll be hungrier to get more of Christ and be transformed by knowing him as we cultivate the discipline of shepherding our hearts. So on your outline, you're going to see considerations for the discipline of shepherding my heart. And our ingredients, number one, the word of God, the very words of our God. Maybe along with that, you want to bring a, a paper and a pencil <coughs> or a journal or some 3 by 5 cards, or maybe you have an app um, that you can journal on, whatever is helpful to you. And we want to prepare. We want to have a plan. Not a plan that enslaves us, but that serves us to draw near to him and his word. And to be more consistent in that. So some practical considerations. It's worth thinking about the practical aspects of how this happens. And we need to be realistic. We tend, as women, to set high standards and high goals and then feel defeated over that. So let's be realistic. Where am I going to have this time with the Lord? What makes this place a good place? What challenges are there in it? Is there a better place for me? Is this a place where maybe you can pray out loud or that you can read out loud if that helps you to stay focused? Can you get on your knees there? Um, can you sing if you want to sing? <clears throat> and it really is helpful to be alone during this time. It doesn't mean there's not a place for coffee shops or sitting on the couch while your kids are playing a game maybe. Um, if that's the best opportunity you have in your day, but those might not be the best regular options, right? So that's just something to consider. <clears throat> when am I going to do this? Am I going to do it early in the morning, the very first thing? Am I going to do it after the kids have left for school? <clears throat> am I going to do it on my lunch hour? Some of you perhaps prefer the night. And if so, just 
think about what the plan will be to carry that over in the morning, right? Our time in the Lord, with the Lord, is supposed to be, um, will change our day. So if you've had it at night, how will you carry that over and make it fresh in the morning again? Maybe you need to read through um, quickly again your passage or look at your note cards, whatever. Does it need to be flexible? Is it impacted by my schedule? Yes. And will it be impacted by someone else's schedule in my home? How long can I spend on this? And this, is, this looks overwhelming. I know that outline looks overwhelming. We're not going to touch every bit of it, and, um, but it's there as a tool for you to take home. So how long will I spend? Do I need to do this all in one sitting, or do I prefer to do it all in one sitting? Do I need to break it up into smaller portions, maybe with little children? That would be helpful. Do you have more time on some days than you do on others? We're going to want to take um, into account all of those things as we evaluate and plan for how to make this time most consistent and fruitful. That's the goal, fruitfulness and consistency. But taking the time to have a plan, if it, even if it needs to be a flexible plan, is one way you can prepare to get the most out of your time with the Lord. The point is, not one size fits all, but there is a size that fits each of us. And even that might not look the same every day. Thursdays for all of us, maybe we don't have as much time Thursday morning because we're preparing to come here. Maybe you have 30 minutes, maybe 30 minutes on a specific day. Maybe that's consistently what you have in your day. This doesn't mean you don't want more time and that you fight for more time, but that's realistically what you have. And so maybe you spend 10 minutes in prayer, 10 minutes in the Word, and 10 minutes on Scripture memory. Could you spend 30 devotional minutes that way? Absolutely. You can shepherd your heart that way. In a, that would be helpful. And, and really with our reading plan, that might need to be adopted, adapted a little more. Maybe you need really more realistically 20 minutes to read through. And so maybe that scripture memory, you have cards and you're waiting in line to pick up the kids after school and that's when you do your scripture memory. Or you're waiting at the doctor's office. Or maybe you do that instead of checking Facebook again. So God gives us each 168 hours in our week, right? There, there really are pockets of time that we want to be aware of. And there are time wasters as well. We just need to be alert to our own heart and see what those are for us. Time, like money, has been allotted to us. We now are to be good stewards of those commodities. God gives us each 168 days. So we don't make time in our day to spend with him. We make a choice. If we're diligent to battle for a heart that wants to meet with God, then we're going to be willing to evaluate and ask probing and hard questions of ourselves. Am I being diligent in this time? Maybe we can ask, how will I spend this time? What's the best use that I have in this little pocket right now? The choice I make, is it going to benefit me spiritually or someone else spiritually? Am I investing in my kingdom or in God's kingdom? What will I use this time for? And when we're in seasons where we really only have a small amount of time in our schedule to meet with him, and we're str- or maybe we're struggling with health issues or there's a new baby or it's finals week, we just need to be careful not to get comfortable there. See, our hearts are deceived, and we can think we're doing okay. So we begin to coast, keep longing for more and laboring for more, more time with him and his word. Do I need to make sacrifices? Giving up something I really enjoy at night so that I am better waking up early. And really the word sacrifice hardly fits here. Because when we shepherd our hearts to think rightly about this time with the Lord, it's not really a sacrifice at all. We don't think it's a sacrifice to eat dinner, right? We like that. We enjoy that time. And our bodies need that food. 
So we live in a culture that tells us that we need me time. We need to turn me time into him time, God time. Sarah Demarest shares an example of a woman she was meeting with, and she went to her home, and this gal had three kids and a new baby. Sarah walked in the door, and this gal literally handed her her new baby and said, can you take the kids outside? I need to be in the Word. That's awesome. That is a humble heart and a woman who knew what her heart needed, and she was willing to take action on that and give up time. I'm sure that would have been sweet with Sarah. So if you have children and you need to get in the Word, call Sarah. (laughs) No, really, wouldn't it be a privilege to serve one another that way? That is so cool. Shepherding our hearts does take time, but we will never regret, regret investing in that time. We absolutely, absolutely don't want to make it into something that only happens when we have a big chunk of time. We're going to train ourselves to use those small windows of opportunity for drawing near to the Lord. Leaving your Bible open on the kitchen counter is a great way to remind yourself, I want to be in the Word and I need to be in the Word. Read a verse as you're passing by and think on that as you continue on in your day. But let's keep spurring one another on to hungering and thirsting for more of him. There's one place in our lives that it's okay for us not to be content, right? And that's in always wanting more of Christ. More time alone with him in his word, more time of shepherding our hearts. Wouldn't that make us more fruitful and effective in in and um, for God's kingdom? I think it would. There's no guilt trip, no condemnation. But what we want to do is light a fire again and to spur one another on, to fuel that fire and that desire for him. I didn't read this quote last week from our outline, but it fits so well here. I wanted to read it now. I don't know if you all had a chance to do it, to read it. But it's from Paul David Tripp. Whatever your story, I say to you, never stop being a student. There are two reasons. First, the depth of God's wisdom. It has no boundaries, no bottom, and has no ceiling. If for 10 million years you sat for 24 hours a day at his feet to listen, you would only scratch the surface of his wisdom. The second reason is the danger of the world. Falsehood echoes more loudly and repeatedly than the sounds of wisdom. Every day a thousand voices speak into your life and mine, and the majority of those voices have not gotten the flowers of their insight from the wisdom garden of the Lord. You see, we live in the middle of a raging wisdom war. It's so easy to be taken captive. It's so easy to have divine wisdom corrupted by human wisdom. It's so easy to breathe in the polluted air of a culture that no longer actually thinks that God exists, let alone that he is wise. I'll say it again. Never stop being a student. Morning after morning, bow your head and humbly pray, Lord, teach me your way. Well, how can I battle distractions? And we all have them, right? No matter the season, we've never outgrown the distractions. Sometimes those distractions come with little feet, right? They come into your room a little earlier than you expected. I heard of a mom who said, My kids get up not at the crack of dawn, but at the crack of my Bible. They just know. Well, we need to evaluate if there's some communication or some training that would address that. I know a lot of you have trained your children that until the clock is at 7 o'clock or whatever time it is, they're to stay in their room, either reading or playing. They're shaking their head. Yes, that is a great tool. And a great training. Maybe you've purchased a, a Bible for them or a Bible and CD so they can listen. They begin to catch the, that this time for you is precious with the Lord. Susanna Wesley had 19 children, and she trained her children that if she were on her knees with her apron over her head, that they were not to disturb her. She was in prayer. I think that's so cool. Her children earned early in life that seeking the Lord was of utmost importance. Sometimes, though, the distractions are in our own minds, right, in our own hearts. 
We might need to have a pad of paper and a pencil there to write down something you need to do that day that comes into your mind or a verse that you want to text to a friend or an idea and then get right back to focus you know, on the time with the Lord. We need to honestly evaluate to what extent our electronics either help us or hinder our time with the Lord. And you need to find out for yourself. Some find it helpful and some are just, um, find it a stumbling block. Be honest in which category you fall into. I read an article challenging its reader to be careful and aware of the distraction of this tool. This article spoke to me that I found that I was very weak in self-control when it comes to using my iPad. It's so easy with a touch of my finger to check the email or check Facebook or um, maybe look up a, a recipe that I keep forgetting to look up. When I do that, I'm not being diligent. I'm self-serving. I squander precious time that I need to have with my Savior. I'm prone to wander. I'm not naturally diligent. And one of the things I can do to battle that for me is to stay clear of that. Now, there are mornings that it's most um, convenient for me to use that. I just am very aware of my heart, and I need to be diligent and ask the Lord to help me to make this time, above anything else, um, most precious to me. And he's faithful to do that for you and for me. But I've had very good friends who use their iPads regularly, and they are women who faithfully draw near to the Lord in his word. So just evaluate who you are. And so that's why we need to evaluate what method is most helpful to me in my season on this day of the week. And how can I protect myself? How does my heart respond? Let's take a look at some focal points in the spiritual discipline of shepherding my heart, of caring for my heart. It's on the first page of your outline there. The approach. Entering into a time of prayerfully meeting with God in his word. Truth be told, when we sit down to have time with the Lord, or we know that we should have time with the Lord, sometimes it's hard to get started. It can be hard to stay focused. It can be hard to know where to start, and sometimes, how, how, when am I done? Have I prayed long enough? And so what do we do? We have many wonderful tools available to us, and maybe you use something different every day. The word is enough for us, but these tools can be helpful to get us started. So the Gospel Primer that I read from last week, I love that book. And it has really, really um, benefited my walk with the Lord. Maybe you could open up with a psalm and just read through a psalm, pray through a psalm. Or read a prayer from the Valley of Vision. Or sing a hymn and praise the Lord and look at the attributes mentioned there. You could pray some many prayers. One is Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Maybe you could go over your memory verses or um, rehearse the gospel to yourself or look at the attributes of God and worship. Worship. Worship really should be the focal point of all of its own. It flows very naturally out of our Bible reading when we take note of what is said about God, uh, about his character, and standing in awe of him. It's a discipline that's helpful in shepherding our thoughts, guarding our minds in the face of trials and difficulties. It's like it builds a well-worn path in your own mind and my heart back to God, back to the reasons that he is trustworthy. It's so important to just start going before the Lord in all honesty. Sometimes the first thing we need to pray is something like, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I'm fighting to even want to be here. Lord, forgive me for that. All that reveals is hardness in my heart and pride and indifference. It shows that my heart is so far from the glorious gospel of Christ and all that he's done to reconcile me. Lord, how can I be so dull to the privilege of coming before your throne? I'm so blind to my own need, to which you are so ready to pour out your grace and mercy. 
Renew me by your Holy Spirit so that I am truly transformed into a fervent, effective prayer and worshiper and follower as I draw near to you. Because if there's anyone who knows better about the coldness of my heart that exists in this mixed condition, isn't it God himself? The one who sovereignly ordained that in this condition I'm saved into? And he made us in this new condition where we can right now fight coldness of heart. He understands that there are days that I'm going to wake up and feel cold toward him. And he's given us the means to thought that out. And that's primarily through the word of God. So this preparation for meeting with God in prayer and the word, as well as for having an attitude of pursuing God throughout my day, because what we're talking about here is just where heart caring begins. It overflows and carries throughout my day, like we talked about. It's a time of worshiping God. And so it can be helpful to ask yourselves, now I'm at the top of page two of our outline, why am I coming before you in prayer with my Bible open? We come before him because of his saving grace in our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We come to worship him, to grow in our knowledge of him, and to express our love and enjoy and delight in him, to express our fear of him, not fear that runs from him, but a fear that falls in its face in humility and submission. And we come because we need him. We express our need to him. We deepen our relationship with him because we want to grow in trust. We want to be transformed. We come to him because we confess sin and because he says that we're to do that, right? It's a command. Do we need another reason? The God of the universe, the creator of all that is seen, the lover of our souls, desires that we spend time with him, that we draw near to him. So in your outline, there is a whole list of scriptural encouragements to pursue God. And we don't have time this morning to look at them, but it might be a great um, time tomorrow morning. Take that section um, in your quiet time and look those up. I think that would be really helpful. So one of the benefits of having some tools and some ideas for preparing our hearts to pursue God and worship him is that they really can help us battle a lack of desire, a lack of priority on our heart shepherding. They can spur us on to battle for whatever time we can get, whenever we can get it. So will you turn your Bibles to Psalm 16, 8 and through 9? <coughs> what if in a morning when you overslept or you up with the kids all night, they were sick or you were nursing a baby, or maybe you were up caring for a friend or studying, or maybe you were just foolish and you stayed up too late the night before unnecessarily? Whatever obstacle you face, maybe on a given day, what if you turn to a passage like one of these and you prayed through it? Psalm 16, 8 through 9. Lord, I want and I need you to set you continually before me. I must remember that you are at my right hand and that it is only because of you that I will not be shaken. Lord, I want to be glad. I want to be near you. And Lord, I know to live this way today and to have you continually before me to be confident of your nearness and sufficiency to me and be glad in you, I must meet with you. I must draw near to you in your word. And Lord, I've made choices. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's just what happened in the night that leave me at a place where right now I can't be alone with you in your word. But Lord, will you help me? Will you help me to discipline my mind to recall your word and praise you and rely on you until I do have time today to get alone to be with you? Lord, will you help me to think creatively about the time before me this day and to take this time with you in your word as soon and as often as I possibly can? Wouldn't that be helpful? Just expressing your need and desire for him. 
I'm not suggesting that this approach would be your habit, but on those survival days, we could at least take time to renew our heart by pursuing him. Um, We all have those days. So we want to acknowledge that and not be overtaken by guilt, right? Because if we do, we might respond out of guilt or out of duty. I must do this. We might want to check off our checklist because that gives me a sense of accomplishment. Or I might be irritated by those who have interrupted me. Or resignation. I'm just doomed to have a rotten day. I blew it, and so I deserve to have a rotten day. And is there any gospel fruit in any of those responses? No. That's what we're saved for, and that's what we're saved from. And so even on those survival days, battle for time alone with the Lord. Eagerly anticipate meeting with him. This time with the Lord is the most important time we will spend, ultimately. Two, the centrality of the gospel as I shepherd my heart. Turn to Ephesians 2. (coughs) And I'm reading this because this is so small and my eyes are... So why would we do this? Why would we preach the gospel to ourselves? So open to Ephesians 2, and I'll get there in just a minute. We preach the gospel to ourselves because the gospel is God's power that has made us acceptable in his sight. Rehearsing this again and again allows us to prayerfully communicate to God that we love his work in our life through Christ, that we are interested in learning more about his work through Christ in us. There are treasures in the gospel of Christ that we have yet to discover. And rehearsing the gospel renews my craving to find, them, to find them. And if we stagger today under the weight of our sin, the gospel will lift us up and remind us of the hope we have in Christ. And if you're in a moment of gospel growth and success, rehearsing the gospel reminds me and leads me to humbly acknowledge that all the credit goes to God. Prayerfully rehearsing the gospel is an opportunity to redirect our lives in light of Christ's work on the cross. One way to rehearse the gospel is to turn to a passage that highlights some aspect of the the gospel into a personal prayer. In your outline, there's a whole list. So we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm not going to do it all, but you might pray through this. And you want to personalize it. And I was dead in my trespasses and sins. In verse 3, I too formerly lived in the lusts of my flesh, indulging the desires of my flesh and of my mind. And I was, by nature, a child of wrath, even as the rest. But you, God, being rich in mercy, because of your great love with which you loved me, even when I was dead in my transgressions, you made me alive together with Christ. And so on. You continue on personalizing that and rehearsing that back to Christ. Again, you can take these and look these up and use these in your time with the Lord. In addition to rehearsing the gospel, it could flow out of what you're reading in the Word, right? It could easily be any part or aspect of shepherding your heart, whether we're praising God or thanking God or addressing sin or praying for ourselves or for others. But it's important. If you and I start to let this slide out of our time with the Lord, we will see it in our battle for sin. We're going to become lethargic about seeing sin and repenting of it when we're not prayerfully rehearsing the gospel. And there are times when we are purposeful and we are rehearsing those gospel truths. We're going to see fruit in our lives. By God's grace, it is a fruitful discipline. That's why we want to be encouragers and remind one another of those truths. Number three is the truth about sin as I shepherd my heart. This is going to be another component of shepherding my heart of guarding it with all of these. It's probably not going to look exactly the same every day. 
You may be confessing sin each morning of those that you're aware of, but maybe just once a week or twice a week, you take some extra time and you really dig in to um, look at a sin that is um, consistent in your life and you want to equip yourself to battle that sin. We talked about that last week. There is um, a quote from C.H. Spurgeon that I think is great. Light thoughts of sin breed light thoughts of the Savior. We want to think rightly about sin so that we think rightly about Christ. It might sound silly, but we don't want to worship the battle of sin. We don't want to worship sin. We worship Christ, and he is the reason we battle sin. So this might be a pretty obvious part of shepherding our heart. In fact, um, the disciplining... The discipline of shepherding our heart overflows into the rest of our life. A lot of times the sin or the temptation to sin is what makes us realize how badly we need to be shepherding our hearts at that moment of sin, right? One tool that we might um, that might be new is something that Scott shared in Build, and it's on your outline, is prayerfully rehearse the character of sin at my vulnerability to it. My sin is offensive to God. Maybe we could take some time in our devotional time and look up and meditate over these verses over the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months. We don't have time to dig into them now, but I know that this would be a helpful tool. My sin angers and grieves my Savior, and I need to remember that. Number two, my sin is powerful to entangle me. Psalm 19.13, Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. The psalmist knew that his sin could just overwhelm and seek to rule him, and we know that too. Hebrew 12 says sin can easily entangle. What has changed about our relationship with sin that will never occur again because of the gospel? A believer will never be enslaved to sin in the manner she was before. But what is true? Sin will entangle. It can entangle. We can be tripped up by it, and we can be overwhelmed by it. That's our mixed condition. That's a very different thing than what we were before. And that is good news. My sin is dangerous to me, and it's dangerous to others. Matthew 5, 29, we're familiar with this. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it off from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Sin is dangerous. Jesus said it's better to radically amputate sin than to go to hell. Sin is not a toy to play with. It is not a mistake. It will kill you. Apart from Christ, we would perish in hell forever because of sin. And we need to remind ourselves of that. My sin is deceptive to me. Sin deceives me like this. My heart might say, it's not that offensive to God, or it's not going to entangle me. It's not that dangerous. I can handle this. But again, in Matthew 7, we're familiar. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, right, when there's a log in your own? Sin easily deceives me about the seriousness of my sin and of other sins. So there's a huge benefit sometime throughout our week to focus on what God says about sin. Because if we don't fight to have Scripture's view of our sin, we will easily be taken by sin's deception and become unaware of sin's nearness to us. Then we'll be vulnerable to sin's entanglements. Sin at that point can become familiar to us, even tolerable, even pleasurable. 
It can become a delight to us. Before we know it, we're in a position of weakness with sin where we'll have to, we will have the fight of our life to get free from its entanglements. Or we'll be defensive in our sin when others want to come along and help. If we do nothing about our view of sin, our view of sin and of God grow cloudy. So we can see that there be a huge protection against sin and strength for battling sin in rehearsing these truths about sin as we draw near to God. Number four is a strategy to fight against specific sin as I shepherd my heart. We just looked at what is generally true about sin, but how about fighting specific sin? Again, these are tools. If this is an area that you struggle with and you don't really understand how to wage war with sin using the gospel, this might be helpful for you to try. There are certainly many other ways to battle sin biblically, but these are some things that you could that would be helpful. And maybe you want to print this off on the Grace Bible website and cut it up and put it on a 3x5 card and keep it close at hand if that's helpful. But number one, how can I identify my sin? Well, I ask God to reveal it, and he's faithful to always help us there. We don't always see our sin, right? We have blind spots. There was a Sunday several months ago that went something like this for me. I had time with the Lord, a wonderful time of meeting with all of you, worshiping and hearing scripture taught, um, singing praises, and celebrated a holiday with my family. It was just a great half a day. The rest of the day, God revealed deep-rooted sin in my heart. What I saw that day, though, in my sin was that it was there all along. It was there that morning. And really, the best part of the day was God revealing it and my dealing with this sin by his grace. It was a, it's a blessing for God to reveal that sin to us. And so we ask him to do that. We examine our lives for sin. What are incidents and patterns that I see in my life? What's the tone of voice? Why? What are my thoughts and assumptions? My motives? Why did I say that? Remember, digging down to the roots. What were my thoughts behind it? And responses. What is in my heart is revealed in my responses, right? So take a look. Why am I responding this way? What sins have been addressed in my Bible reading? Are they in my life? Are they present? Consider coming temptations and ongoing battle with sin, thinking ahead. When I'm in that situation, I tend to be defensive or not careful with my words. So we prepare our hearts, right? And we talked about that again last week. Well, how can I get to the root of my sin in place of godly sorrow and repentance over my sin? Often I think it's true that we see our sin, but we may not always be willing and eager to confess and forsake that sin. I may be sorry, but I'm not ready to put in the effort that it takes to turn from my sin. A lot of these questions expose where I'm not thinking of myself or others in the light of the gospel. They expose self-righteousness, judgment, not remembering what Christ endured on the cross for my sin. So maybe a question is, what is my view of my own source of righteousness right now? Or what's my view of my sin compared to someone else's right now? What is my view of my own sinfulness and how costly it was to God? What's the foundation for my degree of willingness to extend mercy right now? Is it God's character or someone else's worthiness in my eyes? Does my sin reveal unbiblical thinking about God, myself, or others? And the list goes on. Well, what do these responses say about (coughs) what or whom I trust? Am I trusting myself or the opinion of man? Where am I placing my trust? My own control or am I placing it in money? What or who satisfies me most? It's the root of our distractions, right? It's what makes me happy, so I follow after. 
Who or what do I value most and who comforts me most? Who or what do I fear? Who or what is ruling me? How horrific was Christ's suffering for my sin, this particular sin I'm convicted of right now? So if, we're pray, if we've prayerfully evaluated our sin and shepherded our heart to a place of godly sorrow over that, the next step then is to confess and repent. We simply need to agree with God. That's what confession is. We need to agree with him that this is sin and that we're guilty and that our sin is against him and we believe his word that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we want to humbly praise him and thank him for that and commit to turning away from that sin by his grace. The next thing is to ask yourself, what has God done for me in the gospel concerning that sin and its positional gospel realities? We preach those to ourselves. See this sin and myself rightly in light of the finished work of the cross. Again, you can find that new man chart so helpful in in this. The idea is to take the gospel truths and bring them to bear specifically on the sin we're dealing with. God, in spite of my great sin, you have once and for all poured out your wrath against me at the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, you made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. In Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation. I am your beloved, adopted child. You are faithful to finish what you have begun in me. We want to allow confession of sin to continue here in light of what God has done for us in the gospel. And we need to remember that we are righteous in God's sight only on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. We can let that overflow into expressions of thankfulness and worship and humility and great joy. What has God done for me in the gospel, number six, so I can fight against this sin and fight for holiness? As a result of union with Christ, our relationship with both sin and Jesus have been fundamentally changed forever. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are fighting. Rather, we become slaves of God, righteousness, and obedience. This new condition we are in is radically different from the old. And we hear this over and over again. Our hearts need this truth. The new man or the new creation comes equipped by God to be able to lay aside that sin we're fighting for, fighting against, and put on righteousness. Confessing sin doesn't mean just saying, I'm sorry. Confessing sin means seeing sin, calling it what God calls it, acknowledging it before God. It involves taking hold of the gospel work in my life and walking now in obedience and in holiness. So up to this point, we've just been battling for our own minds, right? Well, number six, what are the gospel-empowered commands for me as I fight for obedience? Now I'm ready to set before me the commands before commands from God to obey. We want to watch in Scripture for both commands to put off and for commands to put on righteous behavior. Both are necessary, putting off sin and putting on righteousness. The new condition we are in by God's grace in the gospel is equipped with power and desire to do this, to obey. Trust God by obeying these commands from Christ. Meditate on them. Trust God's promises in the gospel, that you are a new creation capable of obeying Jesus and saying no to sin. And we believe these promises more than we trust our current feelings or our past performance. We, con- we remind ourselves of these things. And then we obey. We seek reconciliation. We seek forgiveness if that's part of the sin. We put on holiness and walk in it. 
7. What are the blessings of repentance and obedience, righteousness and holiness? Because the new man, God, has created a desire for obedience. And we can consistently feed that new God-given desire in our new condition before him so that it grows. And dwelling sin will do everything possible to quench that desire to obey. And this is a way we can fight to overcome that. The reality is I might take the time to really dig down deep and deal with sin when I'm really seeing a lack of growth and success in my battle with sin or I become aware of a deeply ingrained sin that I was just unaware of before. I put that aside, or I set aside time and I deal with that um, in a systematic way. But day to day, much of our sin can be covered by preaching the gospel to ourselves. We talk a lot about the gospel in our battle for sin, but that might not always be clear how that actually looks. So one, as I preach the gospel to myself, I am reminded that God purchased me to be his own. Remember, he redeemed us. I can see a lot of sin in my life by just examining if I live like I was his and not my own. Am I living like I'm my own, like I belong to myself? When I become aware of sin, preaching the gospel to myself reminds me of the terrible seriousness of it, of God's holiness and his perfect justice and all that Jesus endured because of that particular sin of mine. I'm reminded how much God hates that sin as I see his wrath poured out and the son forsaken. I need to remember that it would take all of eternity for me in the torment of the lake of fire and I would still not be able to satisfy God's justice and his righteous wrath against that one sin. So I'm going to stay there until I'm broken over that, until I have godly sorrow. And when I have that brokenness and that sorrow over my sin, the gospel shows me God's great love, that he would pay such a price to redeem a sinner like me. I see his forgiveness, and I see that the dominion over sin of me has been broken. In dying with Christ, I have died with him. When I'm ready to move forward and walk in newness of life, the resurrected Christ reminds me that I am now his slave, that I have new life in him and with him. I am Christ's workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared in advance for me to walk in. He has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I have a spirit, and he himself is interceding for me and interceding for you. I have his word to direct me in the path of obedience as his beloved child and devoted slave. And so we can see that this can take a lot of different forms. It's important to deal biblically in a gospel-centered way with my sin. But there's no one way that that can happen. There are many. So the role of thanksgiving in shepherding my heart, I wish we could spend a whole lesson on this. Thanksgiving is commanded over and over again in Scripture. It offers protection against anxiety and discontentment as we take the time to take note of the many evidences of his grace, his provision, his kindness, in the really big work of salvation, all the way to the smallest details of our lives. And we naturally grow in this as we remind ourselves of what we deserved because of our sin. These verses give many reasons for thanks, many ways to express thanks, and many benefits of thankfulness. And so as we grow in this discipline, prayerfully looking at some of these verses might be helpful again, taking this in your quiet time in growing in that part of thankfulness that benefits our hearts as we tend them. So all of these verses are grounded in who God is. And number five, the request I must bring to God as I shepherd my heart. We might start by saying, how do I pray? 
These references are from a sermon um, that Scott gave on March 18, 2012. You can see I listen to a lot of sermons online. They just help to feed my heart with great truths. So March 18, 2012, you might want to go back and listen and get some great shepherding from the word about prayer. So there's a list of them there. So for whom do I pray? The struggle really is where do I stop, right? That's a good thing. We have much to seek the Lord in. Well, we pray for ourselves, which if it hasn't already been covered, you put that on your list. Um, we can pray for our family, our households, challenges that are coming, trials, goals that, that are there. We pray for the lost. We pray for those work challenges, um, school challenges. We pray for Grace Bible Church. We pray for our elders and our deacons and ministry leaders. We pray for small group members, ministries like Build and H3 and Wellspring and Next Generation Ministries and Sunday's Worship, Discovery Dinner and small groups. We pray for our missionaries and those preparing to go. We pray for leaders of government and friends. The list is long. Well, maybe your strategy is using a 3 by 5 card or an iPad app or a list, or you divide them daily, weekly, monthly, and you keep adapting that. You decide what you're going to pray for and that, how that's going to look for you, and try different things. Maybe asking one another what's helpful, but pursue a life of prayer. Let's not be content to not pray. Again, this sermon was really a great help. And in that, he says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. This is an overwhelming task, but take it into small, bite-sized pieces. We press on. We could spend much time in prayer, but you maybe only have a few minutes as you're preparing dinner or walking. Pray. This aspect of shepherding our hearts tends to be the one that we most struggle with, right? Most often. Well, number seven, six, interacting with God's word as I shepherd my heart. So in Wellspring, we make a commitment to read through the Bible in a year, right? I encourage you to think really practically about what you can do to help yourself overcoming being tired or unengaged in your reading. Read out loud. Read standing up. Read outside if that's helpful. It might be helpful to journal in your time alone with the Lord. It helps to um, just think through. It kind of slows you down to think about what you're reading. Try different things as you battle to really engage with God in his word. And going back to electronics, I find it sometimes helpful to listen to a version, um, an app that reads to you so I can read along, especially in the Old Testament with those lists of names. I can follow along as the man is reading, and that's been helpful. So the first thing in the outline really just underscores what we've already said about Bible reading. We want to read prayerfully, preparing our heart as we read to draw near to God. We can stop and pray and interact with God throughout our reading time, right? We might read it section or read a verse and stop and thank the Lord or praise him or confess sin as we go. Or we might finish our reading and then reflect back through prayer. And it can just be a great launching place for prayer as we let the word of God spur us on to worship him, to confess, to repent, for intercession or thanksgiving. Read prayerfully, interacting with this God of the word as you read before, after, during. In addition to a reading plan, there are other ways to engage with God in his word. These are options. They are not expectations. We can study the word. Maybe you take a day a week or a day a month that you get alone and you study. Smed's going to come in the spring, I think, and teach on um, a whole lesson on how to study. And so that will be great, and I look forward to that. We could meditate on it. And all of this, remember why. What are we doing? We're pursuing our Savior. We're pursuing a deeper relationship with him. 
We want to be transformed. We want to be more like Christ. We want him to increase and we want to decrease. So that means there needs to be a relationship, again, with the time in the word, with the Lord, and the rest of my day. Let time alone prepare you um, for and inform the rest of your day. Carry that with you. You need to be especially intentionally, if you do that at night, again, refreshing your mind in the morning, what you learned the night before. Let the rest of your day direct what happens in your time alone with the Lord in the next morning as you go through your day. You'll see things. You'll see prayer needs. You'll see things made aware of sin in your heart or places that you need to be strengthened in the word. There may be preparation for care that comes in meeting with others. Maybe you're going to meet with a woman to encourage her and you want to spend some time in prayer and you want to look up some scripture to encourage her. Or maybe you want to share the gospel and you spend time again praying and rehearsing those to yourself. Number seven is shepherding my heart throughout the day, the overflow of discipline one, two, and three. What do we do when nothing is wrong? That's not really a great word, but biblically, though, we know that God is sovereign and that he is working everything together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In in that sense, we can't really say anything is wrong, but you know what I mean, right? You have things that happen that are a challenge throughout your day. Sometimes we can find it difficult to shepherd our hearts when nothing is wrong in our lives. I'm in autopilot, the traffic's great, the kids are behaving, I'm just zipping along in life. So let's take these opportunities to prepare for what lies ahead. Something's coming down the road. We don't prepare for Thanksgiving dinner the morning of Thanksgiving, right? We'd be eating frozen turkey if we did. We prepare long before those struggles come. So we want to build our hearts before wrong comes, before those things that our loving Father allows in our lives that cause us to cling to him even more. We're going to rejoice and praise. We're going to notice his specific kindnesses and grace. We're going to notice his creation. And what does it display about my God? We want to be a good steward of mental downtime. When you're driving or folding laundry, listen to scripture online or listen to a sermon. Recall what you've read. Rehearse the gospel. Pray. Again, we want to be good stewards of the time we have. When things are wrong, rehearse the gospel. Believe God's word and believe his character, not by your feelings or your past experiences, but what does God's word say about him? Trust him by obeying him in thought and attitude, word and deed. Let's talk specifically in our closing few minutes about the battle for renewing our mind. We might find ourselves in the battle for renewing our mind in the face of sinful fear, of worry, anxiety, bitterness, keeping a record of wrong, criticism, judgment, discontentment, complaining, idolatry. That was just this week. But the battle for our mind is an important one. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. So we've been seeing throughout the wellspring that everything that comes out of us flows from our heart, right, from the inner man. And he tells us in Romans 12, too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, what his good and acceptable and perfect. And so how do we do that? So there's a sample out in your outline for renewing my mind. I identify my thoughts or attitudes as sinful, again, calling them what God calls them. I confess my thought or attitude as sinful. I remember my freedom from sin through the gospel and that I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works, including God-honoring thoughts and attitudes. You have everything I need for life and godliness through Christ. 
I direct my mind to change from the sinful thoughts or attitudes to godly ones. I'm going to redirect my sinful thoughts of discontentment to thankfulness. Repeat. The last step. Repeat this outline when sinful thoughts or attitudes occur again. It's a battle. Remember, we persevere. We repeat and we go through and we repeat and we go through and we repeat and we go through again. We do this until that temptation is no longer there or that we are um, seeing God's grace in that area. So these are some tools, and I talked fast, and I apologize. We, um, just some things to try. In the coming days, we need to anticipate that we might dis- be discouraged by failure to live up to our own expectations. We might be there already. Maybe you are. I hope not. Maybe you aren't keeping up with your reading plan, or you didn't do your homework this week. And that's one reason we come together to encourage one another, to keep fighting for this. But hopefully it's helpful to see that we don't need to wonder what we're going to do when we open our Bible. We have lots of options. And the point in all this is to draw near to God through his word. So use this lesson to shepherd your heart. If you just need to be faithful in what you're doing, then do that. Be encouraged that it's worth it and encourage others to persevere. And if you need tools to make this discipline new and fresh and fruitful, then use them. When we hit a wall, remember that we don't do this to earn God's favor, right? We are acceptable in his sight through the blood of Christ. We don't do this to make him pleased with us because Jesus gained all the pleasure of God for us in his sight. But we also know that God takes a degree of pleasure in our sanctification and that our disobedience is not pleasing to him and that he disciplines and corrects us so that we might be holy and share in his holiness, because he has great love for us. So pray and ask the Lord to keep keep your motives clear for this. Don't do it to earn his favor, but do it to express your love for him. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Ask him to help you obey in this spiritual discipline and help each other spur one another on toward loving good deeds. So let me pray. Oh, Father, you are a very kind and you are a very gracious and merciful Father. And you sent Jesus in our place to redeem us, to belong to you because of your great love for us. While we were yet sinners, you died. The righteous for the unrighteous. We are unworthy. Lord, it causes us, as we think on those truths and the realities of the gospel, we long to love you more. We adore you and we desire that our affections for you would grow. And Lord, you have given your word that would help our heart, that would shepherd our heart, that would give us all that we need for our soul. Lord, I thank you that you are there interceding for us on our behalf. And Lord, we just desire to know you, to love you, to represent you well, and to spur one another on. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts and that we would grow in this discipline and grow in our love for you. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do in us and through us and for your glory only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.